Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. It's time to drop the puck. Time for the Nightcap. Your home for news and insider info on your Vegas Golden Knights and the NHL. Let's hear from the goalie. Here's Lindsey Brown. Lindsey Brown on this Thursday here at the Playmakers. There's a saying in our world sometimes, stick to sports. We've heard that a lot. Hear it all the time. Yeah, um, but to do that for everybody requires kind of ignoring everything outside your own little personal bubble, mm. and and that's tough. Our next guest is a guy uh, who we promised to you, and we're thankful that he's joining us today. He certainly broke the mold during his career and in his post-career. Certainly does not stick to sports, but... Uh, he had quite the mean streak on the ice. 14-year NHL veteran, Georges Larocque. Georges, thanks for coming on, friend. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, Georges, let's, let's uh, dig right into this. I want you to talk about how you're feeling today as opposed to three weeks ago when George Floyd was murdered. Are we in a better place now? We're in the same place. We're in the same place as we were 30 years ago. We're in the same place as we were 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Will Smith says his best. Um, the only difference now is that People are seeing everything because everything's on camera. Back then, there wasn't social media, so you didn't see anything. But now all the stupidity that's going on, everybody's filming, everybody's pulling out their phones, so people are witnessing it, and they can't believe it. But this has been going on for years. It hasn't changed, so it hasn't gotten any worse. And what's awesome now, contrary to the past, is that back then, when there was no cameras or anything, it was mostly viewed as a black issue, as a minority issue. But now that everything's on camera and everyone is noticing it, now all nationality is speaking against it, which is an improvement to the fact that now they all recognize it, but still there still has to be a, a ways to find solution and, and, and stop just recognizing all the time. And, and the issue of racism is not going to be solved in three weeks. This is a very long play. And so that's why I, I'm with you in terms of, of we're kind of in the same place. But I feel like this time is different. This moment feels different. I'm very hopeful for the future. Do you, do you share that, that same view? Well, there's only one way you could solve it. And, and I have a solution for it. Um, and I think that's the only way you could change it. Because what we have to understand about racism is, is you, it's people that are racist, you can't change them. You'll never be able to, to, people talk about education and all that stuff. People that are racist, they don't care about education. People that are racist, they don't care that people are doing specific march, uh, denouncing it. They don't care about that. So the only thing you could do with people that are racist, you could force them to be respectful with people around them. The only way you could do that, the only way you could do that is if you take money out of their pocket. So I'll explain what that means. First of all, all governments, with everything that is going on right now, they should have a zero policy for racism. So whether you're a police officer, a nurse, or anything, a fireman, anything, one incident, you're fired. If you send out uh, a press release saying that for all government jobs, you get fired if something happens, there's a lot of people, even though they might be racist, 
they're not going to act in any racism way because now they're going to want to lose their job. So that way they can provide to the family. That's the first thing. And also all business owners outside of government should also issue a zero policy for racism. And if one of their employees is racist, then you fire them. And again, those people, they're not going to want to lose their jobs. So even if they're racist in the inside, they're going to have to be respectful of people around them. Now, if there's owners of businesses that are racist, you identify them, you boycott that business. So again, somebody that runs a business is going to be very careful, like conducts his business, because it's not going to want to be boycott. Now, when, when we're talking on the street and parts everywhere, there's people that are act racist way, they do comments and stuff. And again, it's on camera, it's filmed, there's proof of it. You give them a ticket, just like you give a ticket for a speeding ticket. If it's proven, of course. So those are extreme measures. That's the only way you could change it. Because if we don't start with measures like this, in 10 years, it'll be the same thing. Because after everything that happened in those last couple of days with Harbury, with Floyd, we still see things going on. We saw that guy the other day, two days ago, he got fired by FedEx because he was mocking how, how um, uh, Floyd died and he was all over the internet and FedEx just fired him. He did that with everything that happened. So that shows you right now in the society, there is so many people that ignore it, that are pro-racism, that are pro-KKK, and it doesn't matter. So, you know, it's great to see all the testimonials from those great people around the world, great athletes recognizing it, thing has to change. But you know what? For how many more months we're going to see other testimonials saying that? What does that do? Yeah. The recognizing is great now, but we need solution. And the only way we could do solution is with people that could take money out of their pocket. It's the government and it's people that own businesses because people that are racist still have to work, still have to provide for their family, and you have to force ways to force them to be respectful for the people that are around them. doesn't matter what nationality people would be. Former NHL uh, enforcer veteran George Larocq joining us here on The Playmakers, Paul Leihander and Lindsey Brown. We promised you an honest talk about race, obviously about life, and certainly about sport. And, George, you see, you talk about actions, and you've seen the actions, and you talk about those athletes who are not sticking to sports, and they speak out. You see today where the NFL's committed $250 million to racial injustice and NASCAR banning the Confederate flag from its events. Those are tangible actions that you are speaking about, but you're suggesting as well that individuals need to be taking that same action. Well, you know, the tangible actions are good, but it doesn't solve the problem. You know, it's, it's patching a little bit. You've seen this, but it doesn't change the fact that racism is still there. And it doesn't change the fact that, look, look what's going on. There's still videos of, of act going on every day because the people that are racist, that are seeing all those protests and what's going on, they get off on that. They love that because they're like, I'm the reason why people are on the street every single day protesting. And they love that. It doesn't change them. You think that they look themselves in the mirror after they see a specific protest, they're like, oh, I'm going to stop being racist now. They won't. So it doesn't matter. So the government should look at this and being sick of it and say, like, you know what? This is enough. I'm saying no to racism now. But again, you guys live in the state. So would Trump ever do something like that with all the stuff we're hearing about them? Would he ever issue a policy where he would say zero to racism when there's so many incidents that we actually not too sure if the guy is, is a racist or not, or if he's in, or if he's endorsed by the KKK or whatever? I'm not. I don't know too much about the politics in the U.S. So I'm not going to go too much there. But this is the first thing that they should do. You want to stop it? Starts with the government. Give the example to all the small businesses to do action and not just recognizing because they get on the flag and that stuff. It's like 
yeah, it's nice of those ways to show respect to to minorities and what it represents, but that doesn't change much of the fact that we still have to find ways to stop racism with police officers, racism, and, and it's obviously not all of them. We can put them all in the, in, the, in the same basket because the majority of police officers are good, but because of a couple of rotten ones, they, they, they made them look all bad. So we have to recognize the fact that, you know, if something happens tonight and somebody breaks in our house, we'll call 911, we'll call the police because we need protection from them, right? So those march against police brutality because of some stupid people that are racist, I think it's too extreme. But still, the government has to clean up its department, police officers, and everybody that is showing racist uh, like action has to be fired on the spot and no second chances to make sure that there's never any other incident like just like what just happened like happening ever again and like you said you can't change people so it all kind of boils down to personal accountability and that's a theme that is present through all sports but especially in the game of hockey george which you were obviously so successful and i i played goaltender myself collegiately so i i'm on the same page with you with that but i wanted to ask you uh, what what was your experience like as a young black player coming up through the junior system in in canada in an obviously historically white sport and how impactful would it have been if that personal accountability or, or uh, a more f- frequent interaction with an ally or a mentor, and how, how much of an impact would that have had on you and your career? Well, you know, hockey's always going to be, li- well, I don't know if it's always going to be, but right now it's labeled as a white man's sport. So when I played hockey and minor hockey, I was the only black guy, and I, have no ro- I had no role model, and I was getting called the N-word every day. Every day I played, I was getting called the N-word from parents in the stands, from players from the other team. So my parents didn't want me to play hockey and minor hockey because of that. They said it was a bad environment for kids to grow in, and it wasn't affecting me as a human being. But I was telling them that I can't quit. I got to prove them wrong. I'm going to make it. So my parents said, fine, but we're not going to come and watch you. So I was alone in my minor hockey. I was suffering in silence. So my mentor was actually Jackie Robinson. I find I find a, um, like a kid version of his autobiography when I was a kid, and I read it. And I read how he used the N-word as a motivation to make it to Major League Baseball. So other than that work taking him down. He was working even harder. So I kind of did like him. I used that word as a motivation to make it to the NHL. But but the thing is, is with that, is because there's so many, not many minorities in the NHL that there's many black kids that they don't want to play hockey because they know all the stories of racism that happened in minor hockey, that happens to them because there's not many of them. So they don't want to play in a sport that they don't have many role models because they want to face the racism. Or maybe they're not as strong mentally to be able to to, because, you know, making it into hockey, playing hockey is competitive, but a thing that shouldn't, is not fair for a kid is having another obstacle, which is racism. Why would a kid would have to battle to racism to play a sport that they love? So that's why a lot of parents don't want to put their kids into it because they don't want the kids to face it. My parents didn't want me to do it, and I told my parents, no, I'm going to play anyway. But, you know, I had a, I had a strong character, but... Most of the kids are going to listen to the parents that they won't do it. They'll just do something else. And that's why the NHL is struggle, struggles so much to grow the game in the States because what's going on right now is that the label that hockey has, there's so much work to do, to do to show that hockey is for everyone, to make hockey accessible for everyone, to break down that label. Because, you know, I would love hockey to be able to battling with, with NBA, with football, with soccer, with baseball, with all those sports in terms of popularity in the States. Because the more popular hockey becomes in the States, the more revenue brings in. You look at the NFL, the revenue is so high that the TV rights pay all the payroll for all the players on the team. If hockey wants to get there, 
to a certain level, they got to make hockey more popular with minorities. And to that, they need role model, they need program and integration all across the state, especially in areas where there's minorities, and you can change that label and you can help grow the game and bring more money. But every there's so many guys that I've known of color that, that played and made it to the NHL, and we all have something in common. We all have to face another obstacle that no other kid has to do, and that's uh, fighting for for yourself for or for, for color uh, to be able to make it to the NHL. Yeah, the NHL, it's so overdue and they're so behind. But how do you think the NHL has responded to the movement and the moment that we're in right now? Do you think that they're taking it well in stride? Or uh, you're an action guy, clearly, but where, where do you think they are in terms of how they're approaching well, it? Well, right now, right now, uh, with all the players speaking out, you know, you saw Crosby, McDavid, the best player in the game, speaking out about it. Now I think the NHL are in the action mode right now and they're trying to find ways I myself contacted the NHL uh, to propose an idea that I could do to work with them. So uh, I'm supposed to meet with them uh, next week. So we'll, we'll see what that's going to do. But uh, we need the action mode right now. And and I, I recognize the fact that they want to be active. They want to do something. And they've done something in the past. They had really Ori for years that was uh, working in a diversity task force right. to go to all remote areas to grow the game and to show hockey is for everyone. Now, I just think that we have to expand that program a bit more and do more um, because, you know, he has, at his age, 80 years old, he had so much energy. He went all over the place to do things. But, uh, you know, if he had a couple uh, soldiers with him to do things, I think that we could help grow the game even more and make hockey even more popular than there is. And, and, and I'd love to follow the legacy of Willie O'Ree. But I think it starts baby steps, steps like this, that, that are action that you could do, that hockey could do and stuff to show everyone that we want to, we're bringing hockey to you to show you that it's for everyone. And, you know, someone of color to talk about hockey, that it's a fun game, it's great, and, and you know, play the game that you love and learn it and stuff, it'll inspire more minorities to play. And then, and to, to obviously, if there's more minorities that, that plays in, in the minors, then there'll be more minorities eventually playing pros. Former NHL enforcer George LaRock joining us here on the Playmakers. We're going to keep him a little extra because I think we can. <laughs> Why not? George, do you still love hockey? Oh, yes. I, I, hockey is an unbelievable sport. It, it's great. It's spectacular. It's fast. It's, the game has never been faster than, than, than before. The skills of those, those guys, it's amazing. And, uh, yeah, I, I have a radio show in Montreal, and I cover hockey all the time. And I cover all the sports, but obviously mostly hockey because it's Canada. It's, uh, it's number one national sport. So I love hockey. I played 13, 13 years in the NHL for 14 years. I feel really fortunate. The NHL has given me everything that I have today and, and made me the person that I am today, and I'm thankful for it. And uh, now I still watch it and still cheers for the team. And, and I know it's just an awesome sport to watch. It's the most beautiful game, and we can never really leave it. And, and George, I was, I'm really glad that we had you on the show today because my dad and I became lifelong fans of yours many years ago after you fought Derek Bugard in 2005. I, I grew up a fan of the Minnesota Wild. But the, no way. Yeah, yes way. But as you said, fast, the, the game has changed a lot, especially since you've played and especially since that fight against Derek Bugard in 2005. So, But you had an enforcer role, and that role has definitely gone through some changes throughout the, the league over the the last decade or so so where do you think the enforcer role is today in in today's league well you, you know in terms of the enforcer role then yes it's getting out of the league slowly and slowly and that's where the league is going more towards speed and you know you don't see any more than one dimensional 
dimensional player that come, that plays a minute a game just to go out and fight. Thankfully, I was not a one-dimensional player because I was playing nine, ten minutes a game, play a regular shift, playing the playoffs. So I worked really hard. So I wasn't just a guy that would play one shift a game. And you know, I had a hat trick and a couple of great seasons, twenty-nine points, thirteen goals. So I was working hard on my game to be more than a one-dimensional player. But the thing is with fighting, people always ask me, "What do you think of fighting? Should fighting be out of the game?" The thing is, because this is what I did for a living, I will never spit on fighting because that's what put bread on the table for me. So I'm always going to hope that fighting stays in the NHL because there's another kid playing junior hockey that hopes fighting stays with the other job one day. And, you know, I know that there's many kids that did the job that I, that, that, that I had that, that maybe I was the role model. And how would that kid feel if his role model that you looked up to and you hope to be as tough as he was when he played in the NHL. He's talking publicly against taking out fighting, and if fighting is out, he's not going to have a job. I will never talk against fighting because this is what I did for a living. And I think to talk against fighting when you're a fighter and you're retired, it's hypocrite. And the reason why I said it's hypocrite is because everybody that fought knew the danger of it. We all knew it, and nobody put a gun on a temple to do the job that we did. How come nobody... How come all the fighters that are talking about fighting now that they're retired, when they play, they never talk against it? How come all the fighters that are retired are talking against it now? After one year of fighting, why don't they just, why didn't they retire and say, fighting is too dangerous, we should take fighting out of the game? They never said that. Everybody that talks against fighting is they're retired now. And now it's popular to go in a public direction and say, we should take it out. So now you get a quote from a fighter that used to fight, that say fighting is too dangerous, let's take it out. So this quote is bigger because it comes from a fighter that should know what fighting is and how dangerous it is. So we're marking it down, we're doing a big title, people are like, oh, look, even fighters are saying it. That's ridiculous, it doesn't make sense because we all knew the danger and I'll never talk against it. And you know, obviously fighting is getting out of the game and it's not because of me and my opinion is not gonna change the fact that it's gonna come or not. But the only one thing that I do know and when there was fighting, hockey was very popular. Everybody's on their feet when there's a fight. People, they energize. You see the energy in the building. And, you know, it's always been like that. And now, you know, I think it's mostly because of, you know, the concussion and what's going on with football players and all that stuff. The league, which, which I understand because of lawsuit reasons, they try to, to block as many ways as to prevent hits to the head as possible to prevent guys of getting more hurt, so I understand where they're going in the health point of view. But again, if you ask me the question because that's what I did, can't talk against it. Now we're a few weeks away from seeing full-blown NHL action back on the ice, and there's a little bit of a different road to Lord Stanley this year, but I'm going to put you on the spot here, George, because I want to know which two teams that you think have the best chance in facing off against each other in the final. I'm not asking you to pick a winner. I'm asking you to pick the final two. Well, uh, that, that, that's a, that's a really that's a, the reason why it's a really tough question is because now there's like they had it eight more teams, so it's a format that we've never seen before, and we know the reason why they did that is to bring more TV revenue because they want their players want they want to pay too much extra next year because it could go up to thirty five percent if they don't play this year, and because of the salary cap of the teams, if you don't recuperate five million from the TV rights, teams can be in big trouble next year. And it's a mayhem, so we need to recoup some of the money. And what's great is that because the playoff guys are going to play for free. So, you know, it, it, I feel bad about the fact that, you know, there's 24 teams other than 16 because the, the Stanley Cup is the hardest trophy to win, and now you're having eight teams. And if one of the eight teams that didn't qualify wins it, 
there's a big asterisk on this season because the season means something. It means you fight to make the playoff, and now eight teams that's released to be on there. So now looking at the favorites uh, out there and stuff, teams that they have a really good chance to be to be there and stuff. Man, it, it, the reason why it's such a hard question is because you know to answer this question, you have to look at the cities that got all the players together to train together and to start practicing. And I don't, so I'll do a wild guess, but I don't know yet what teams have the most player in town to start practicing because they're going to be ahead of the other teams in terms of preparation. And on a tournament like this, things could turn around pretty quickly. It depends on that because there's many guys that are still staying at home. They're not coming to their teams yet. And teams, some teams are going to have an advantage with this. And then there's injuries like, you know, there's some guys have never had a layoff this long. So to have a layoff this long and to jump into playoff hockey, a lot of guys are going to get hurt. So there's so many things to take into consideration. But to be honest with you, and I'm not going to say because you guys are in Vegas, but I think Vegas has a really good chance to come out of the come out of the West because they have great goaltending and obviously the players you guys got Stone and Petrini, all those guys. I think that you guys have a good chance to come out of it. I, my heart is with Edmonton to come out of the West, but I think Vegas, especially knowing that Vegas could be one of the sites where it's going to be played. So guys that are staying there, they're living in Vegas and they would play there, that's such an advantage. Even though there's no crowd that are there, you still feel the energy of the city supporting their team. So just for that reason, I give a boost to your team in Vegas to come out of there. And in the East, I don't know why, but I think that Pittsburgh uh, – it's been a sleeper for a couple of years now since they won uh, with Malkin back uh, healthy, Crosby energized back ready. Uh, Gonzal is healthy now and he's going to be back playing. Um, I think that Pittsburgh could be the team coming out of the East uh, because uh, those guys, they know how to win. They've won before and I think that uh, uh, they want to be back a champion again. So those will be my two guests. But again, there's so many things that could happen. Uh, in between that, uh, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Well, George, Golden Knights fans will definitely take that to heart for sure. Big George, George Larocque joining us here on the Playmakers. Uh, George, before we let you go, and we've we've talked about a, a million other topics, and, and for Lindsay and myself, uh, honestly, it, it's been an honor to to be able to chat with you as we talk oh, about you. as we talk about just being individuals in this world that we live in right now. The steps that we can take as people to grow and to understand about racism and the shoes that you that you have lived in your entire life that people will not understand. And those are big shoes. You're six, three. I don't mean to joke about <laughs> it, but you're, how, how do we as individuals, you know, grow honestly? Well, to be, to be honest, the best thing to do everyone is uh, just look yourself in the mirror. Okay. Look yourself in the mirror tonight before you go to bed and ask yourself this question, because to grow is to understand and to accept differences. When myself, when I talk about racism, I don't just talk about racism towards black people. Racism to me means a lot of stuff. So look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself those questions. Do I accept all nationalities, black, Arab, Jewish people, everyone? Do I accept everyone? Do I accept every religion, even Muslim, everyone? Do I find everybody equal? Do I accept people from different sex gender, people that are homosexual? Do I accept them? Do I, do I have respect for women's rights? Because all forms of inequality is a form of discrimination. It's racism. It's the same thing. It's on the same basket. You look yourself in the mirror, and you can say that in all those questions, in all those points, 
you're okay with, you have no problem with all that, you are a person that helps society move ahead to go forward. We need more people like you on this planet. If you're not, if there's only one of those things that you have a problem with, and you're like a cancer because you, you're like, this is what you're, you, you're telling people around you and stuff, you're not good in this society. So look yourself in the mirror and try to change. Try to be positive and treat everyone equal, everybody the same. Like worst, worst that if there's one little thing that you have a hard time with. And the minute that you could do that, you could tell yourself that you grew, you grew uh, as a woman, or as, a, as a man, and you're positive for the society, and that's how we're going to go forward. George LaRock, here with the Playmakers. George, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, guys. Thanks for, thanks for having me. That was fun. <laughs> Definitely. Anytime. You are welcome back anytime, friend. Uh, thank you. We'll, we'll talk to you guys when you guys raise the cup. Oh, by the way, say hi to say hi to my boy Ryan Reeves. Love the guy. He's a funny guy. I love it. Absolutely, we'll relay that message along to him. Ten four. Awesome. Awesome. George, thank you so much. You're welcome. George LaRock here on the Playmakers. Uh, insightful and, as we promised, honest. Completely. Yeah. That's. Uh, we'll get that posted as soon as we can. You can revisit that. Um, Wow, one of my top fives. My top five. You know, 100%. I have my top five conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right up there. Uh, Georges Larocque here on The Playmakers, here on CBS Sports Radio, 1140. The Nightcap Podcast with Lindsey Brown is produced from the Las Vegas-based studios of CBS Sports Radio, 1140, a Radio.com sports station. Everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 